from the Technology Association of Iowa, welcome to the Iowa Tech Policy Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Waller, with my co-host, Molly Ross. This podcast will provide an exclusive look into technology-focused legislation during the 2022 session at the Iowa State House. We will speak with state lawmakers and Iowa technology leaders from various industries on specific tech legislation, what it means for Iowans, and how it may impact tech companies across the state. The Iowa Tech Policy Podcast is proudly presented by Shazam, a member-owned debit network processor and core provider that believes community-based financial institutions strengthen and improve local communities. Learn more at shazam.net. Additional support is provided by Denton's Davis Brown Law Firm. Hello, and welcome to the Iowa Tech Policy Podcast. In this episode, we'll talk with Ari Schwartz, Managing Director for Cybersecurity Services at Venable and former Senior Director for Cybersecurity for the White House National Security Council. Ari, welcome to the Iowa Tech Policy Podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Can you start by telling our listeners a bit about your background, including your time at the White House and your role today at Venable? Sure. I mean, I'll start back probably like the mid-90s, I was at a place called the Center for Democracy and Technology for 12 years, now known as CDT. And there I worked on privacy issues and got to work on a lot of security issues, particularly around it's kind of cyber stalking kind of issues and things like that, and spyware. And then from that, I went, I, I was working a lot with NIST, the National Institute for Standards and Technology, which do a lot of the security standards and and now do a lot of privacy work as well. And through that work, ended up going to work for them. Eventually was detailed to the secretary's office at the Commerce Department, which is in where NIST is located, and worked on a wide range of tech issues there, including with the Patent Office and National NTIA, the Telecommunications and Infrastructure Administration. From there, asked to join the National Security Council at the White House during the Obama administration and help run cyber policy there, particularly the domestic side and defensive side of cyber policy. Great. So today, Venable, what is it and what is your role there and what does Venable do? Sure. So Venable is a law firm. I am not a lawyer. When I left the the administration, you know, there was a lot of people dealing with breaches, with, with particularly with data breaches, and they really wanted to bring on someone to kind of help to frame the work in the space. And we do both kind of operational work with companies, and we also do a lot of policy work with tech companies too. And we run some trade association. We help run some trade associations too. So we run the association of the cybersecurity companies as well. And we do one on, on identity management, which is a big topic these days too, and help run that with, which is the banks and the, the vendors in the space really. So as two examples of things that we do there, you know, it's a wide range of things and we have, we're hiring up. We're going to have, I think, 12 people by the end of this month. So yeah, working with me. So it's been seven years since your time at the White House National Security Council. How has the cybersecurity and threat landscape changed in that time? Well, I think that, you know, going back even a little further, when I first got into government, there was kind of a viewpoint that a lot of the cybersecurity people were overstating the problem. And I think it became very clear to me when I was in government that that was not the case, that things were getting bad. And I think now it's, you know, just front page news pretty much every day. A lot of that has to do 
with the way that the kind of the threat actors have kind of grown in the space. The old threats don't go away and the new ones keep growing and things like the, and, and then definitely the move to work from home during the pandemic changed a lot of the way that the threats work. We had a lot less kind of big scale data breaches, although they still happen, but just in terms of percentage of breaches, a lot more ransomware and a lot more kind of fraud, theft kind of stuff going on. So I, th- I think, you know, I would say the ransomware being is now the number one issue on the plate for the work kind of work that we do. But there's, you know, the old ones are still things that we follow and, and watch. And, and, you know, we still see a lot of fraud like W-2 fraud and it happening at companies where they steal all the W-2s and try and do tax fraud and other fraud based on the information that they gain from that. Well, as we sit here today and there's a crisis going on in Ukraine right now, and earlier this week, the White House issued an urgent warning to business leaders regarding the threat of cyber attacks coming from Russia. My question is, is there anything more that you can share that companies should be aware of and they should know about this crisis or threat that's looming? Yeah, I think a lot of companies and and individuals really think of that the Russians are going to aim at government agencies and maybe... At, at worst, defense contractors or government contractors, but that's actually not the case at all, right? I mean, what we know is that the Russians utilize cyber criminals to do their work for them. And basically any damage, the, the thinking is that any damage they can do, they will be happy to have done. So the fact that these criminals might already be in companies' systems, particularly critical infrastructure systems like energy companies or transportation companies or other kinds of major major entities, that they they will do damage there. So that's that's the reason for this new announcement, trying to get people's attention. Like this is not simply the kind of war that you would think of as in traditional war. Now the the interesting thing here though is that the way that the war has played out has not been the way that a lot of the cyber people predicted originally. So the original feeling was they were going to go after Ukraine in the same way. And they have not done that with Ukraine. They have, there have been some cyber attacks against Ukraine and Ukraine infrastructure, but not as many as they thought. And and people say, well, maybe that's because they don't want to destroy Ukraine's infrastructure, but they're certainly willing to bomb Ukraine. So that's, that's, can't get more infrastructure than that. So we don't really know exactly what's going on, but there has been what, what we're hearing from the White House and from the intelligence community right now is that there is intelligence that Russia is readying their cyber posture and that they may be going after Americans as well as as Ukraine because it's a way to reach out and a way to hide attacks against Americans that they wouldn't be able to do in a kind of bombing way. So um, there is fear of that. And it's worth, I mean, it's worth girding up for anything. The Russians are very good and the people that they, even the criminals that they hire are pretty good. And it's worth gearing up to prepare for it, to prevent those attacks, because it's going to help you with regular crime as well and regular fraud as well. So we hear about the threat of Russia and the prowess in cybersecurity and their influence on the American side, the United States. What is our, how can we fight back with cyber? Are we, is that part of our playbook too? And how do we stand in the world for? Yeah, I still say we're the best. Okay. I mean, at least from what I still know, right? Mm -hmm. We're the best and our allies are very good too, right? So we have a lot of friends in the space and they're very, all very good. The, the issue is we don't tend to go in and destroy things. We act back. We hack back on things or, and, and there's also a feeling of, well, if, if someone hacks us, maybe the best way to get back to them at them is might not be to hack them, 
right back, right? I mean, I think the, that's sort of the immediate kind of feeling from people that, that don't know the space so well. But you got to remember that this is sort of a, it, 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 there, there's a disproportionate amount of power here in display, in, under display. We have a lot of ability to do damage to people's economies through sanctions and other means and without destroying their infrastructure, with through cyber attacks and things that can't be undone and also kind of setting a ball rolling that could end up coming back to hurt us where people say, but you did it to us, right? So you got to think about these kind of the reaction here and the norms that we're setting by taking an offensive action in the space. So there is a little bit of a hesitancy to say, well, we're the best, so we're going to just go in and hack people back when we don't necessarily know what that means, what kind of, what kind of ability they, they have. For example, the North Koreans have very, it's very difficult for them to reach out and do damage to us, but they do have some cyber power, right? They have some ability to, to hack places. If we started hacking the North Koreans and they started hacking us back or they started hacking us and we decided we're going to just attack them, that, that's not necessarily the, uh, the best playing field for have military power relations move forward in the future. We really have to think this out in terms of the norms in this space and how we want it all want it to be. And I think U.S. has been, we've made some mistakes in the realm in the past, but has generally been considering our, uh, how much dominance we do have in this space has been generally thoughtful about that. And that has helped us um, to, in terms of not having major cyber attacks, you know, the, the, the way that some have predicted to this point, those still may come. So... Denton's Davis Brown is a law firm committed to helping clients grow, protect, operate, and finance their organizations. With offices in more than 200 locations across 80 countries, Denton supports clients locally, nationally, and globally. More at dentons.com backslash DDB. So if we can, let's take a little turn to the policy side. We've been working on some cybersecurity and privacy legislation at the state level here in Iowa. What can you tell us about what's happening at the federal level? Well, the federal level, there's a lot going on. I mean, for a while, everything was happening in Europe at their federal level, and we were kind of following what they were doing. That's still going on. They still have a number of bills, including a number of, or, of efforts still going on there, uh, directives and regulation going on there in the cyber area. But in the U.S., we've seen a big uptick and things that are going to affect a lot of companies, a lot of regulatory action in specific sectors. But then the broader on the broader set, over the last few weeks, we have seen really a big uptick in reporting and notifications where companies are going to be expected to notify government agencies and regulators. And two in particular that stand out to me, they happened just over the last month. One is the SEC. The SEC is a new draft rule out there that's going to require that that, that incidents, significant incidents are now reported to, an, to them through an AK form after four days of hap- that they've happened. Now, these have always been, it's always been required that these incidents uh, be reported when, they, when they're major incidents like this, but to do it within four days and to have a stronger understanding of what those kind of type of incidents is, is, is a change. And I think it's one that a lot of companies are concerned, particularly about have, picking a specific number of days rather than saying, this is something that we've mitigated and now we can report it. Like, it doesn't matter if it's mitigated. It doesn't matter. It's when you, the clock starts ticking the second you figure out that it happened. So if you're just, if it takes three days to tell leadership, you have one day to report. The leadership has one day to report, right? So there is, uh, is going to be a change for companies. And I think it's one that 
a lot of people will see as problematic by just because of picking a specific time frame. But a lot of these have specific time frames. And the other one that we're seeing out there is that the Department of Homeland Security is calling critical infrastructure companies. You know, that's a lot of companies out there. And you, you have to know whether you're a critical infrastructure company or not for in, in your sector. And that they have to report an incident within three days to to the Department of Homeland Security. And if you pay a ransom, you have to report that within one day. Now, that is in law, the DHS rule. It just it was just signed into law by it was bipartisan legislation that went forward to, to, to make it happen. There is a push from Senator Portman of Ohio to have them implement the ransomware piece first immediately, but DHS has two years to implement the whole thing. So we have some time before that goes into effect. But you're seeing like a lot of different periods of time, a lot of different people that you have to, are going to have to report to. And individual sectors are now expecting different, different reporting. So I think there's also a fear that like, what's the harmonization here? Like, am I going to have to report to seven different people if every time we have a breach? That's certainly true for banks and for maybe for hospitals going forward, maybe for others. But, you know, finding a way to harmonize that and say, well, you just report to one place and they to DHS and then they report to everyone else or just to the FBI and they send it to everybody else. Finding something like that, I think, would be is going to be a part of this discussion as well going forward as these things move forward. And we have the debate over the amount of time and whether a specific amount of time is the right amount, what specific amount of time is the right amount of time. So can you speak at all to what's driving this change? There was a lot of concern over a number of breaches that happened recently that the companies did not report to the government about what was going on. And that, you know, that led members of Congress in particular to say like, okay, this is enough, right? The government claims if they had known this, they could have stopped it in five more places, you know, some for this spreading in five more places and they didn't find out about it. So I think that that was in there. It's not just one case of this. It's happened. It happened probably about three different places. And so I'm not going to pick on a specific company, even though some probably deserve it. <laughs> but in general, the, you know, the idea that if they, they'd rather have more too much information than too little. And right now they feel that they have too little. I do feel that some of these reportings are going to find out that they had too much very quickly <laughs> and it's going to be the government's fault that things aren't getting done. But that that is what that, that that's the change that the Congress wants to see right now is they don't want companies to be continue to be blamed because they, they did not report. They want if they did not report, they broke the law. And that's why they didn't do it or they broke. And and if government doesn't act on the information because they couldn't find it, we'll work on getting them better tools at that at that point. That's what Congress wants. I think they're probably I wish we could get that get there in an easier way. But that's the direction we're headed right now. Well, we have one more question. You're a busy guy. You're in Iowa for a couple of days. I know you have a lot to do, including meeting our our CISO roundtable. So our cybersecurity roundtable, you'll be meeting with our cybersecurity executives here in Iowa from lots of different companies. One question we get asked a lot around ransomware. Should a company ever pay ransomware? And is there a trigger point where it's just better off to pay it? Or is it a sharp Never pay ransomware. Where so this is we, we deal with this all the time, okay. and it, it is the hardest question with ransomware. You have to decide very quickly, and it's not just because there's this time these clocks ticking for reporting as we've been talking about. It's because the rants the people holding doing the ransom are 
having a clock. And we are actually seeing a lot more of them start to publish information about the people that they, that don't pay and when they, they post it up. So it is happening there. And that's also one of the reasons that they want, we want, we see this push to get people to pay so that it's a decision of people are going to find out either way, you, but they're going to know, now know if you paid and so that there's actually a decision point there. Obviously, we better for society if no one paid a ransom. Right. But that's not the way these things work. Right. I mean, a lot of t- it depends on your situation and how badly you've been hacked and what the impact will be to try and resolve it. So we saw like the city of Baltimore decide they're not going to pay. It took them a month to get their, their stuff back online. Right. Companies oftentimes don't want to go through the process of, of it taking a month and they are willing to pay in order to do that. That helps the ransomware gangs because they take that money just like pirates and they invest it in the next hack. Right. So it, this is a it's a it is a up. It's a difficult situation for companies to make that determination. They need to work with forensic experts and with people that can actually kind of quarterback all the people in, internally and, and and to assess the damage that's been done when you're in that situation and whether it's worth paying or not and what the, what's going to happen. A lot of times now we see the criminals have gotten into the system. They know what your insurance rates are and they put it in to be right at the insurance rates. That has made insurance companies less likely to pay as well, which also is another thing here that that changes the calculus. Before, the insurance companies seemed okay paying. Now, they're not so sure. You have to work that out with your insurance company too. So there's a lot of these factors that kind of go into this situation. Like we've developed literally trees for companies to try and to make sure that they're looking at everything and that they've done some exercises beforehand so that they know what they would do in this situation. We think it's a bad idea. Some people want to have cryptocurrency on hand just in case so that their systems don't get shut down. You better believe that the bad guys, when they get in the system, the first thing they're looking for is how much cryptocurrency do you have so we know what, exactly what to ask for. They can just ask for all of it, right? So, Or maybe even more. So it is there is a, these, these trade-offs and things that you have to prepare for in advance to be ready for it, but also things that you do at the time that make the determination. We've had people who, where it's just their mail server that got hit. I'm okay living without my past mail. They want to publish a few things like that I've said. Go ahead. We'll, we'll, We'll live through that pain, but everything else is still working. That's totally fine. So, you know, if you're in that situation, that seems like a pretty good, uh, turnaround. But if, if, your whole system is totally locked up and you're going to be shut down for a month and you have to kind of build up a new network in some in a week and a half. And while you're down, you're losing all lots of revenue. A lot of companies aren't willing to do that. So, Well, Ari, thank you so much for joining us today, for sharing a little bit of your expertise in this unique world of cybersecurity and policy. Thanks for joining us on the Iowa Tech Policy Podcast. Thank you. That wraps up this episode of the Iowa Tech Policy Podcast. Thank you to Shazam and Denton's Davis Brown Law Firm for supporting this initiative. At TAI, we believe every Iowa company is a technology company. Join us at technologyiowa.org to build and unite Iowa's technology community.